Hey everybody, you're listening to So Many Sequels. I'm Josh. I'm Andrew. I'm Garrett. Uh, we are here talking about Silence of the Lambs this week. The, uh, I don't know what you call it. There's so many names for the series. The Hannibal movies. Um, I think the Hannibal Lecter movies are just... Probably, that's probably the... I mean, he is the uh, the constant yep. throughout the different movies and the books and the TV show. Uh, but, but Silence of the Lambs is the very first one starring Anthony Hopkins as Hannibal Lecter. I clicked on the uh, book. Cool. Anthony Hopkins is as Hannibal Lecter. Jodie Foster is Clary Starling um, and other people, but they are the, they are the really made the main important ones. Uh, Jodie Foster plays an FBI um, student. She's a student at the academy, like a trainee who is assigned to uh, the case of a suspected serial killer who was only known by the name Buffalo Bill. And in order to learn more about him, she speaks to famed serial killer Hannibal Lecter. A former psychiatrist and current cannibal. <laughs> <laughs> Once a cannibal, always a cannibal, exactly. I always say. Uh, the Science of the Lambs was a big hit at the time. It came out in 1991. was at the time only the third movie to ever uh, win Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Actress, and Best Screenplay at the Academy Awards. Have there uh, been more since then? I don't know if there's been more since then. Just, oh. those, just the three? Maybe. Yeah. And the other two were It Happened One Night and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. It's only only three movies that we know of. I don't think, yeah, I don't think there's been any since. I don't know. There's been one that's got the four, which is Million Dollar Baby. No, I'm wrong on that. Never mind. Skip that. Scratch that. It's also the uh, only Best Picture winner that is a horror film in the history of the Academy. Okay. So there you go. Get Out got close. Get Out got close. So did Exorcist and Jaws, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. But here we are. So that's the gist. That's what we're talking about this week. Uh, where do we begin? It's good. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, <laughs> it's good as a story. Yeah. No, the, the acting is pretty solid from, from Foster and Hopkins. Uh, the first thing I want to say has to be, has to deal with Jonathan Demi. Um, is that how you, how you pronounce it? I was curious. Yeah, it's okay. Demi. Um, I I think Jonathan Demi is a fantastic director, and this is the one movie that shows it. Um, there's a lot of Hitchcockian. There's a lot of Hitchcockian like. Oh, not motive. Oh my god! There's a lot of Hitchcockian. Do 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 do. Man, I hate this. Come on, where's uh, your words? It's there. <laughs> it's on the tip of his tongue, and he can't say it. Uh, like flair, Hitchcockian flair. No, like Hitchcockian oh angles. Sure, there we go. <laughs> Thank you. It's Which got, one though? Homage. There's okay. a lot. There's a lot of homage to Hitchcock here. Okay. Because Alfred. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Batman. No. Oh, different Alfred. Okay. Not Pennyworth, Hitchcock. Ah. <laughs> no, there's a there's a lot of this here, and one of the things that makes it one of the things that makes it even better, I think, especially for this film, is that we have a lot of like we have a lot of like push in camera movements. If you notice, there's a lot of dolly ins and dolly outs. Mm-hmm. It's like the it's like the camera almost follows their movements uh, 
follows the movements and keeps the tension really, really high. I, I did like the use of close-ups to faces. Yeah. And that it's like, were like straight on. That was interesting. Yeah, and they look right at you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's it's interesting how they how they double back on each other and whenever they're conversing because it keeps it very entertaining. But also, it just makes Hannibal Lecter even more terrifying because he's looking sure. right at you. Sure. But, um, no, the... It, uh, the leveling tension of uh, of all of this, of the entire film, triumphs over all because it's just it's just an everlasting build, even up until the end. It just doesn't let up, and I think that's what's nothing. That's what makes the movie is the way it is, and it still has lasting power. Even what this was made in like what ninety two, ninety one, ninety one is when it came out. Yeah. Okay, so almost thirty years thirty years ago. And it just, it's, to me, it still has, it still has lasting power. Mm-hmm. So this is one of my favorite, this is, this is a movie primarily that I watch around Halloween just because. You vis- revisit this movie? Not often. <sighs> okay. But I don't know, it's just a good scary flick. Okay. Uh, piggybacking off your talking about uh, close-ups and, and whatnot, one of my, one of the most notable scenes that I wrote down was when Lecter is in a cage in Tennessee and Clarice had gone back after they had kind of screwed him over with the deal and they found out that it was a lie and Chilton came in and swooped in and was slimy and she snuck in there and they were talking and they were both... They, the camera started off in like a, in a center pivotal point where it would be on Hopkins and then it would be in the same position over on Jody. And both of them were framed in between the bars. And I thought that was a really good use of, of him being, like, they did a good job of, of showing him being in the cell and framed. And then from his point of view, looking at her through in the in the freedom. But as they kept talking about uh, her scene or why she left this ranch and the, the silence of the lamb stems from when she was a kid, she was on a ranch. She heard lambs screaming they were being slaughtered. She tried to free them. And so she was telling him this story and the camera continued to zoom in on Lecter's face and it got creepier and creepier and more and more tense. And you could just see the the creepiness from him. Mm-hmm. And then it would do the same thing <clears throat> on Clarice, but instead it was using the same practice. It didn't get as close, mm-hmm. but it got closer and closer and they were still framed by the bars, but whenever they did it with her, it showed like a vulnerability and a, a emotional sadness, I guess, as she's telling the story. And I thought that was a really good job of taking the same practice, but being able to give you such different emotions at the same time. And and the way that both of those act in that scene just really stood out for me, and I really, really liked it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, anytime they were on screen together is when the film had its strong points. Yeah. And I think the the weak moments were when they were apart. Mm-hmm. I think that's what made what makes the movie work is is them. And that's why I'm scared for the sequels. <laughs> it's it's such a uh, you were we were talking about this yesterday. It's such an unusual chemistry that they have. Jodie mm-hmm. Foster and Anthony Hopkins. Mm-hmm. And it's been uh, how, how they work together on screen really translates really translates like the source novel really well and they just that chemistry there is just 
is it just worked. Yeah, I haven't read the novel, so I don't I don't know how that uh, translates. Mm-hmm. For me, it's one of those where you know they set up who Lecter is and what he is early on in the movie, but at the same time, somehow you kind of like the guy. Oh yeah. no, you you never liked him. Not like a, no, the, a lot of the things that I read yeah, were that name. people were. I guess transfixed by him and they erred on the side of liking him, even though he's a cannibal and a murderer and a crazy man. But like he had the ability to get you on his side. And a lot of it was, they were like, he Clarice is the main point of the story. Even though Lecter is like the one that people take away. Clarice is the focus of this movie. It's her story, not Lecter's. Yep. Yep. And because she is using him as a resource, Despite the fact that he is a cannibal and a crazy murderer man, he is still helping her to solve this case and advance in her becoming an FBI agent. That people become, again, transfixed by him and they like him, thus forgetting to an extent that he is a bad guy. Y'all look crazy. That yo, what are y'all thinking? <laughs> He's not trying to help her. He's trying to help himself. He wants out. So... Don't fall for this wiles. That's why serial killers get away with it. So, <laughs> I'm it's, I'm perplexed. It's it's interesting. It's interesting about that because like Anthony Hopkins, Anthony Hopkins, uh, to to people to some people I don't know, but like uh, thinking that he is a quote unquote sexy person, and they can't. It, no, it's true. Like I, I've I've read I'm just this. laughing at. The quote-unquote part. No, I'm yeah. a sexy person. I get. He's a beautiful man. I mean, he is a beautiful man. Let's let's not let's not beat around a bush here for for a second. But like, he... <laughs> I'm talking about Anthony Hopkins, not Hannibal Lecter. Yeah, uh, I am also talking about Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it, like the casting of the casting of Anthony Hopkins. A lot of people were very uh, adamant about that because Anthony Hopkins. Anthony Hopkins is by by standards a good-looking man and he is a good-looking man and he's also British and people didn't know how that how that fared over but it's it's what translates on the screen because he he when he stares at you you know it, you know normally when you deal with like uh when you watch movies about psycho killers you know they always have like a very creepy vibe and they give it off very, you know, it's, it's very, it's very like, uh, like open. Like they want to be known as creepy. Hannibal Lecter here doesn't do that initially. You know, what's he doing? What's he doing whenever you first see him? He's standing in the middle of a cell. I found he, that deeply creepy. And he was just staring right at you. I mean, you have all these other psycho people, you know, you have the one, who's the one dude who like, who Migs? Migs. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, like Mig- you just had to make the gesture, and I knew what you were talking about. Yeah, <laughs> you have Migs who is literally jumping around in his cell. You had the one guy who wasn't doing anything at all, and then you have Hannibal Lecter looking right at right Man. straight into your soul. That's messed up. He's terrifying. When He's you t- go into a, a prison like that, mm-hmm. for those people, you almost like expect that behavior. Yeah. So to then find him standing stock still staring is by far the creepiest of them all. Sure. 
I it's, thought you were arguing that he wasn't creepy out. Well, like, out, like it's it, it's it's weird to see him not do anything mm. to just look right at you. Yeah, he's behind. He's not behind bars. He's behind bars and glass. Mm-hmm. So they really he's don't. He's the only want, one behind glass. Yeah, they really don't want him escaping. And so it just kind of begs the question, like, why is he behind there? So you really, it it, it doesn't really rev up until you know the museum scene when he, whenever he escapes that he's actually you know this horrendous horrendous cannibal. And yeah, they've been talking about him. They've been leading up to him, but taking a look at him. And noticing how deep his intellect is, uh, you wouldn't have guessed that right up until he eats the dude's face. Right. Yeah, they hold back on the violence throughout this movie. And, and that's he's great. and that that really shows his um resolve and his restraint and really ups the creepy because again, you know that he's doing all of these bad things, but throughout this whole movie, he has been calm, mm-hmm. he has been rational. He has been logical. All he wants is a view and a window to see some trees and some water. And he has drawings that are posted up in his cell so he can pretend that he has a view. They do a good job of being like, yeah, he's bad, but also here's some sympathy. And then also he can murder you any second. Mm. And, And whenever he drops that murder on those two police officers... It really is almost kind of shocking at the moment because you know whenever that pin goes missing in his in his cell, which I have a problem with that, but I'll circle back to that. When that pin goes missing, you know something's about to go down. You know bad things are going to happen. And for me, that's whenever it was like, oh, shit. Yeah. Something bad is going to happen, but when? When they handcuff him to that cell and he starts picking the lock, Anxiety kicks in, and you're like, oh my god, what's going to happen? What is he going to do? And then he handcuffs that guard, and he bites that guy's face, and then he just slowly beats this guy with his own baton, covering himself in blood. Then he picks up the knife and just walks away. And then it cuts to something different, and that is creepy. Uh, As far as his portrayal, he said that he was inspired by HAL 9000 in 2001, because he's, quote, a dispassionate, brilliant machine, superb at logic, deficient in emotions. And I feel like that's... I've not seen 2001. You guys wouldn't saw it, what, last year for the anniversary? Yeah. yeah. Would you say that's an accurate portrayal of what you would see as a human version of Hal? Is like someone... Because Hal is obviously turns into a murderer thingy, yeah. I guess. I don't know. I've not seen the movie. Uh, but <clears throat> whenever I read it, my stereotype or my idea of what Hal is fit this perfectly. No, oh, yeah. Um... No, you're not wrong. I, I have that same note here, too. But, uh, no, it, I mean, HAL 9000, again, brilliant machine, cold-blooded killer. And I think if there's if there's anything to compare it to, I think that's probably a very, very just literal and brilliant comparison. To Because that's, I mean, I really don't know how else to put it, put that other than how Anthony Hopkins wanted to do that. So... Hmm. Interesting. You disagree? I I don't disagree. I don't also like it does not like an epiphany moment either. Mm-hmm. I did changing subjects a little bit. 
I did find the movie really kind of symbolic almost. Oh, there's so much symbolism and yeah. whatnot in this. Yeah. I mean, the, the movies, if the movie's anything, it's a heavily symbolic movie. For what? Well, like whenever Clarice is going down, Clarice is going down into the prison to interview uh, Hannibal Lecter, you can kind of view that prison as hell. And she's going into the very bowels of it mm-hmm. in order to find the one thing that's haunting her in order to find the case. Because yeah. it's it's the movie is really about self discovery. So, you know, it, like uh, Clarice is obviously running from something, and she's and she's trying to be she's trying to be a person that she's not. And Hannibal Lecter knows it. Mm-hmm. Hannibal Lecter knows exactly what's going through Clarice's head, and it, through this whole process, you know, we go through the, whenever we go see the autopsy, you know, there's that little flashback where she's seeing her, she's seeing her father's funeral. And then we see, you hear about the lambs, about her being on the farm, about her being, you know, running into her, running into her dad. So she's trying to find herself as well as, um, as well as trying to find the killer. But in order to do that, you know, she has to overcome the one thing that she fears the most and Hannibal and Hannibal Lecter, who is probably, let's just say, a symbol, a symbolistic view of like, uh, you know, her one demon that's been haunting her, says, "This is what's going on. And this is how you need to fix it." And here's the answer to it. And uh, uh, there is when I think there is that one whenever she was investigating towards the end, whenever she was investigating that one girl who went missing and ended up dead. That that one girl was uh, was trying was holding out those pictures. Y'all remember that? Mm-hmm. Okay, that girl was trying to be somebody that she wasn't. I think so. It's all about identity as well. Okay. So yeah, I mean, there's it's there. Okay. Um, I mean, there's 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 symbology there. It just. You just have to look for it. Symbolism. Symbolism. I don't believe symbology is a word. Okay. It is now. Not a- look it up in Merriam-Webster. Right up there with strategery. Whoa. Oh, I'm going to copyright it, and I'm going to make it mine. For me, one of the things that I saw initially was um, portrayal of women in positions of power. Sure. Um, Clarice is one of... She's the main female at this FBI academy. There's another girl who shows up from time to time. That is also there, but the movie opens up with Clarice running the obstacle course by herself, working hard, doing all these things, and then gets called into Crawford's office for some reason that we don't know at the time. As she's going from the obstacle course through the FBI Academy, you see male after male after male, or the women that you see look like they're secretaries and office workers. They're not field agents, and so people, as she's going through, are giving her weird looks or the males are looking at her like oh yeah like treating her like an object she gets into the elevator surrounded by men who all are kind of like what is happening here? yeah and then that continues throughout i made several notes of why do these men suck so much yeah uh I mean, when that's a timeless question that is a timeless question <laughs> and and it really does a good job of, of putting in your brain as you continue through the movie, she goes to the autopsy where, or where the they find the the first victim, and there's at the funeral home, and Crawford 
escorts the sheriff away, is like, I don't, we shouldn't talk about this stuff in front of women, and you can see it really bothers her, and then she's left in a room with all the other sheriff deputies, and they're looking at her, and she feels really uncomfortable. Um, Jack Crawford at the time asks about that, and she does a really good job of being like, it does bother me when you do that, when you did that, because people look at you as an FBI agent and see how you act at the top, and then they act that way in turn because they see you doing it, so you shouldn't do that. And that was a really good message. Uh, it happens again when she takes the cocoon to her friend, and her friend is hitting on her. So it's yeah. just this constant her being treated like an object, and, and she's working incredibly hard, but everyone is just seeing her as an object, and it's kind of a portrayal of it's a another way that people look the way Bill looks at women is that they are objects for him to take and capture and treat. Yeah. So that's a message that's seen throughout the movie as well. Well, uh, it, there's two things I want to add, add to that. There was after Lecter escapes, uh, uh, Clarice and her friend, I don't know her name. It, I don't know what her name is, but uh, they, they're, they're sitting there and they're talking about the case and they're talking about like, we covet what we see. And I think, uh, that could be something that could be talked about in terms of like her being an object and people being objects and how people view stuff like that. Uh, the other thing is, is that there's, there's one point in the movie. I think it's like the second time that Clarice is talking with Lecter with, when they're talking about like, at one point, he says, "You know, do you think that, do you think that Jack Crawford uh, symbol or uh, visualizes you and has has thoughts, impure thoughts about you, having sex with you and whatnot?" And her response is just simply, "That doesn't interest me, Doctor." What else? I the I one major takeaway that I had, the one frustration that I had was and I mentioned this is whenever Hannibal escapes in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. So at the beginning of the movie they when Chilton is talking to Clarice about like the rules that they have in place for Lecter and all of this stuff, they mention something about you can't take like pins or things into his cell. Okay. Later, after the deal the fake deal was presented to Lecter and Chilton is like, Oh, that was a fake deal, but I have a real deal, blah blah blah. They focus on a pin. Yeah. That Chilton had brought into the cell. Okay, great. Fine. Cool. That's setting up what's going to happen later. I get it. My problem comes from, how did he get the pin? Because they don't talk about that. And at the time, he was in his stretcher with his face mask on, tied up, and Chilton was walking around. You. That leads me to believe that Chilton just forgot the pin. Because there's no way that he could have taken that because assumingly Chilton is not the one who's tying Lecter up and letting him go so he so somebody else ties Lecter up he goes in there to be a jerk because he's a jerk he would collect his material the pen wasn't hidden it was on top of the paper so he would see the pay, the pen pick up the pen leave and then someone else would untie him that was the only thing that I had a question on. Is like, how did he, in fact, get the pin? I don't know. That's a that's a that's a that's a very yeah. nitpicky thing. 
No, I but mean, I mean, no, you're you're not wrong because like, I've I've always I've always wondered how he got the pin. Yeah, I don't think it's too nitpicky. I really truly think when it's not Hannibal and Clarice, the movie starts to unravel. I don't think it's that strong when it's not them having a conversation. Okay, and I feel the same way about the scene where he pulls off his escape when the two guards bring him dinner. In no universe would two people with half a brain do that. Mm-hmm. Just leave the door open and have them both enter with him. Mm-hmm. That's pure stupidity, and I think it's bad writing. What do you think? Like you, I watched that and went, "This is stupid. This is this is the this whole scene point of, is the whole stupid. point of having two is to have one stand guard while the other one goes into exactly, and yet they both go inside with him, right? And especially and if are they're just suddenly trusting yeah. of this known serial killer. Well, and especially if they're handcuffing him to the thing, like. Yeah. You don't need two people in the cell. You need one person watching to make sure he's not, I don't know, picking the lock. I thought it was, I thought the escape was dumb. I mean, he had to get out of there somehow. I will say that. But the other thing is, is, yeah, only two cops to a, only two cops to a floor. Because apparently there was, there's only two cops on that floor watching him. Yeah. And they were like, that seems very like. For for a known serial killer to where they have the entire building locked down, it was stupid. Why why did they just you know? I w- I would think like there'd be cr- there'd be cops crawling all over that yeah, building. Yeah, there were in the first floor, especially when, when the elevator like, started, and then fifteen cops drew their guns on the same floor. What are you idiots doing? Yeah, but I don't know. Like, and that's why I really the movie just kind of it doesn't do it didn't do it for me when I wasn't seeing those two characters interact. Mm-hmm. Because they are what make it. I will say this though, the escape scene, the escape scene is probably one of my favorite favorite scenes of the movie. Really? Granted, it's dumb. Granted, my yes. dude, why? Granted, yes, there were things leading up to it that were wrong, but how he got You're away? Lazy. I mean, how he got away? How he got away was great. Eh. I mean, I just I, I thought the shot composition was good yes like and it was that was a beautiful shot for as disgusting as it was when he when he had the guard strung up uh, now, as like a butterfly no that's that's something else too it's a great well, shot it's a great shot stupid writing but here's my here's my thing about that though he had time to redo all of that <laughs> yeah he had time to redo thing. all of that yeah and nobody knew that those cops were dead right like nobody checked right. in on them Right. Like, granted... Because you gotta think that took a while. Oh, no shit. It took him some time. And to, you know, to completely redo the entire museum, that whole floor of the museum. Well, and then to to remove the guy's face, put it on his own, and then put... Uh, just, no. <laughs> so, so here's a question. You mentioned Hitchcock, and one of the... I read a bunch of reviews, and we'll get into that later. Mm-hmm. But I read a review who talked about Hitchcock, and they said... Uh, Alfred Hitchcock always insisted, quote, you can only get the suspense element going by giving the audience information. So do you think that this scene would have been better rather than hiding the fact that it was Lecter? Telling us that it was Lecter and presenting it in a way of how is he going to get out and how are they going to not realize that it's him rather than giving us this... uh, false switch because i think that there could have been an argument where if we would have seen it because they they they, this review goes into kind of the reality of time and 
how did the EMTs not realize that that's not his face? Yeah. And and they present like a little bit of realism to it. And and this argument is let us know that it's him doing this thing and show us like this uh this time of like luck and uh miscommunication or something that gets him out of there but this whole time he could be caught uh hmm so so read that read that to me again about what hitchcock says hitchcock says you can only get the suspense element going by giving the audience information and so they present the argument as the first thing hitchcock would have done was to have let it be known that it's Lecter, not a wounded guard, lying on the floor. Yeah, show then, us how he did it. Then Lecter's journey from the floor to the ambulance could be mined for two levels of suspense. The killer's jeopardy at being discovered, and the cops and the EMS attendant's jeopardy at being so close to this homicidal maniac. Ugh. It would have looked less dumb. <laughs> Probably. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, I would... I would argue... I would argue that like simplicity can sometimes be the way to go and not knowing all the, all the details and all the facts and all the information may in this case may not be, may not work as much as I love Hitchcock. And as much as I, as much as there's homage into this movie of Hitchcock, I would say that the limited amount of information we have on how he escaped I, you know, there's sometimes whenever you go into a movie and you just don't want you know, like you don't want any details about things. I mean, we, we talked about this with Dark Knight. We've talked about this with the Joker. We've talked about this with several other characters, uh, Michael Myers, you know, several other people that were that are that are known villains that are well-known villains throughout cinema history. And Hannibal Lecter is one of them. Sometimes the mystery is best left unsolved. Sometimes I would say. I mean, granted, right? But that, that's a, that's a different argument because we're not talking about the background of Hannibal Lecter. We're talking right. about whether or not we know that he is the guy that's injured. Right. But that's what I'm saying, though. I would rather just, I'd rather maybe just have it like, you know, not exp- not fleshed out to me in, in <laughs> fleshed whole. out. I think I would rather have a moment of sustained suspense versus one cheap twist. Okay. I think it would have been a better payoff. Okay. It's kind of a cheap twist. Because, so? like, it would be interesting seeing Like, this, it's good like, in the moment, but it's it's so quick. Having seen this movie several times, I know what's coming, and it looks like Hannibal Lecter laying on the ground with, pretending to be somebody else. Even, so, like, when they see him, when they show him on the floor, mm-hmm. injured, for me, that's... I, I'm like, that's Anthony Hopkins. Like, I can tell. But I've also seen this movie before, so it would be interesting to see if... Someone watching it for the first time picks up on that because I did. Okay. And it was, but like, I, again, I've seen this movie several times. So mm-hmm. that, that element of suspense is gone and I know what's going to happen. It's still fun to watch. Oh yeah. It's when a- he pulls that face off, it's disgusting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I just thought it was an interesting way to approach it because looking at it from his perspective, yeah, there's absolutely no way that the the emergency people would have been like, uh, I don't think so. <laughs> but you're not supposed to think about that stuff. But you should. Okay. What do we think of uh, Buffalo Bill himself as like a, uh, like, 
a, I guess, a villain. <laughs> or the portrayal of. Because I this we'll get, we'll get into, into some of the controversy of. in itself, but like how well, do we feel about wrong. the It's wrong. What what how how he was portrayed was wrong, in my opinion. Um but getting to that later, just on the surface, I felt he his whole storyline was unnecessary. I just didn't I've said it a, a, a few times. I really just only cared about Clarice and Hannibal. And when they went their separate ways and we went on to this wild goose chase of finding Buffalo Bill, it wasn't as good anymore. I didn't care about that story as much as I cared about their story. And Buffalo Bill was just kind of a mess. Buffalo Bill, it was... And we didn't see much of him. There wasn't really a lot of depth. Right. Yes, there wasn't a lot of depth. There was with, none. Yeah, there was no depth with Buffalo Bill. We just, we just know that he's the killer. We just uh-huh. know, we just know that he's Buffalo Bill, and that he's keeping, he's keeping the senator's daughter in the basement, or the governor's daughter in the ba- in, in the senator. In the, thank you, and the senator's daughter in the basement, and is eventually going to kill her and skin her. We just, and we know that, right. and we know there's a lead up, and we know that this person's crazy. And I think and that's about it. that the lack of depth and uh, motivation really settle or really makes it clear that it's it's not written or portrayed well. Uh, I mean, this is a uh, um, I don't know. Okay, I'll talk I about just it. am not. No, no, I don't I'll feel talk comfortable it. talking. No, about no, no, I'll talk about because it because I'm a. I'm not. It's not. I'll do it. I read it. I read stuff. I'm not afraid. So I'm not afraid. No, no, no. I don't mean afraid in a bad way. But like, if, <laughs> if if it's not, if it doesn't come across well, for then I then it's fine because I'm at least trying. But like for my my thing is like, I agree with the depth. I think that they missed an opportunity to give him a true story, and so a lot of the controversy with this movie, while like well like critically acclaimed and and well regarded. A lot of the controversy from this movie stems from Buffalo Bill and being uh, gay and transgendered mm-hmm. throughout different parts of this movie. Mm-hmm. So the controversy comes from the portrayal of gay or transgendered people being uh, psychopaths, killers, and that's and, and like generalizing them into this and. For me, I understand that, and I think that they tried, in parts, to make that not the case. There are a few lines that come out in the movie where it's like they talk about some of the the issues of Buffalo Bill himself, where they talk about how he doesn't like himself, and he's tried to be several different things. So he was gay, and and that didn't work in 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 this dialogue right they said he was gay and that didn't work thus he killed that moffat guy so now he thinks that he is a, a transgender and and he thinks that will make it better and so the problem comes in where if someone thinks they are transgender and they they try to portray it in a way of like he thinks he's a transgender but he was denied the sex change because the doctors don't think that he's actually a transgender and this is in 1991. It's a different time of thinking, but that's not how that works. And so the the 
controversy that I've read is that if someone thinks they are transgendered, then they are, even if they have some like seated issues that Buffalo Bill does have. What they should have done is really hammer in on the fact that Buffalo Bill has a problem with himself and is continually trying to fit in wherever he can. Okay. Because that sets up a he's doesn't he's not being categorized into this category or this category. They give him some background of why he is the way he is and why he thinks the way he is and and that if I can fit into this group, then I'll finally like myself. Or if I can fit, but that didn't work. So now I'm going to try to fit into this group. And that he's really tried to become a lot of different things, whether it's gay or whether it's transgendered or whether it's whatever other thing he thought he could be a part of in order to find that he likes himself. And none of this has worked. And so he gets frustrated and lashes out. For me, that could have helped give him more depth, more backstory, and avoid some of the the controversy of him just being connected to the LGBTQ community. And I and I totally get it. And I the article I have like five articles that I'm going to send to you so we can put in the liner notes so people can read. Cause I read five or six different articles from different people. And one of them was from Jonathan Demi, who talked about how he was and is, well, he's dead now, but he always considered himself a hardcore supporter of the LGBT community. So he didn't want that to be the portrayal. Ted Levin, whenever he was researching it, said that he read a lot about serial killers and went to um, some cross-dressing community like bars. And while he was there, he was like, this isn't the kind of character that I see Buffalo Bill as. So I'm not going to portray him as like a, a gay person or a transgendered person. I'm going to, this is, for, he was like, for me, it's someone who is afraid of that or or has like homophobia, but is taking it out on them. I don't remember how, I'll, we'll put it in there. But th- those people didn't portray it as that. But it was it came across that way, and there was a a way that it could have been done in a better way, and it's it's sad that people see that, and a lot of people think, you know, you play on your own stereotypes and your fears. So some people see it and they lump them in with, yeah, transgendered or gay people are this, but that's not necessarily the way it was portrayed or meant to be portrayed, that's just the way that it came across, and it's it's a, a f- sad thing. Um, it is, and I think the way that Jonathan Demme actually made up for that was because his very next film was the film Philadelphia. And Philadelphia was about a, a gay man who gets fired from a law firm because he has AIDS. It was one of the first movies to go mainstream with this issue, especially with AIDS, because AIDS was a very hush-hush issue. And then Philadelphia was one of the first movies to actually, to, you know, for lack of a better term, come out with that issue and make it well-known. And I think it's interesting that Jonathan Demme was the one who pioneered that as well because it, it sort of reversed that role, the next, it sort of reversed that role 
uh, whenever that movie was released. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know anything about that. I don't know about much about Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Jonathan Demi. Philadelphia is a great movie slash very sad movie. Yeah. So for me, I watched this movie. I don't remember when I watched it the first time, but I never thought I never had that connection of LGBT criminal or anything like that. But I'm not of that community, so I'm not someone to speak on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think for that's me, how we all feel. I I, I certainly don't want to like be like this is what happened because that's not the case. But for me, I was able in in my opinion of Buffalo Bill himself. I think I always took it as this is a guy who doesn't know where he fits in and he doesn't like himself. And so he's trying to find something and he's he's got some issues, obviously, as far as like the the way that he is handling things. Obviously, he's a murderer. That's not good. So I wish that they would have given him more of a backstory to kind of get out of that. Unfortunately, it didn't come across. And so that controversy is connected to this movie. And I think it's something that I, that people should talk about. Yeah. Because it is a, a, especially with, what is it, almost 30 years that this movie's been? Mm-hmm. To see where it was when we were, when it was made, to where it is now, and, and something to look back on and be like, this is not the way that you can portray this. There's, there are better ways to handle this kind of a situation. And what can we take away from this movie and do better in the future? Okay. And so I think that it, a lot of these pieces that I read were written on the 25th anniversary and in that kind of time frame. So it's still a thing that people are talking about and people are putting out there to do better at. Okay. So Yeah, well, apparently... Uh, there were there were big protests at the Oscars that year. Yeah, because they're... Silence of the Lambs wasn't the only problematic film out that year. What was the other one? Uh, or what were the others? I don't know. Alice was the because uh, I know that JFK came out the same year. Yes, uh, JFK, Silence of the Lambs, and the upcoming film Basic Instinct. Yeah, there were there were a lot of protests at the 1992 Oscars, from what I read, and there was. I guess concerned that they were going, the protesters were going to be able to, they, the the phrase that I saw was infiltrate the ceremony by some kind of guerrilla style protests and that they were going to disrupt the, the show because of the protests. Didn't happen, but people, there were a lot of protests outside and that was like the main story for the days after was the the protests. Yeah. I'm sad now. <laughs> I'm just sad now. <laughs> the Academy is always out of step, it seems. And it's just sad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a weird subject to have a conversation on, especially as three straight white men who are privileged AF. Mm-hmm. But... It, it's something that I felt like we needed to talk about. You can't no. avoid some of the controversies of no. this movie, and that is a big one. Yeah, it's not. It's just not good. Is my take? It's just not good. And it shouldn't have happened. Yeah. Um, this but, movie was successful. Yeah, despite all that, the movie was a, a commercial smash. It made one hundred and thirty million dollars in the United States when it came out on Valentine's, on Valentine's Day, Day yeah. nineteen ninety one. 
What a weird time to come yeah. out. Yeah, one of the things that I fa- find interesting is <clears throat> when this movie came out was right around the Oscars for the previous year. Mm-hmm. And usually the movies that win are closer towards the end of the year. Mm-hmm. But this movie was like one year old and still was relevant enough in the Academy voters' minds to take home the prizes. I mean, that's not unusual. No, I mean, it, I mean like, like Black like, Panther came out in February. Get Out came out in February. That is true. So, uh, the other movies out that week <laughs> include a bunch of nonsense: uh, Sleeping with the Enemy, King Ralph, Home Alone, Dances with Wolves, L.A. Story, The Neverending Story Two, Nothing But Trouble, White Fang, and Awakenings. That's the top ten the week of Valentine's Day, nineteen ninety one. Home Alone, you said a bunch of nonsense. Yeah. Home Alone is not nonsense. <laughs> no, but nine out of ten of them are. Dancing with Dances with Wolves. That is nonsense. <laughs> Get out. It's nonsense. I haven't seen it in a long time. Big Dances with Wolves fan over there. You watch that every year too, don't you? I love that movie. Yeah, that's why you like Avatar, isn't it? I fucking hate Avatar. Uh-huh, same damn movie. It is, but you know what? <laughs> Dancing with Wolves was there first. Okay. Then make it better. Uh, well, then let's talk about the ratings, because I mean, that's, those are the numbers. 130 mil. I am going to go with... Take a guess. We're, we're doing Rotten Tomatoes, yeah, not our own Yeah, that's typically the order. Oh, snap. Okay. I don't have that pulled up. Oh, well. I'm going to go with 90... 95. I'm going to go with 89. Um... Uh, I I I think it's in the ninety. I'm gonna go just straight ninety. Sorry, I didn't I didn't I didn't intentionally mean to prices right you. Yeah, uh, except 90, you do it every week. Ninety six. <laughs> I didn't even remember what you did until after I said it. Ninety six. Uh-huh, uh-huh. uh, ninety six thermometer. Ninety five audience. That's too high. It's very. It's V high. It's too high for me. I, uh, go ahead, you rate it, we'll go through the, now we'll do our stars. So, like, I would give this, I would give this four out of five. Just a, it's just clean cut four out of five. Per our conversations that we've been talking about today, it hasn't changed my, it hasn't changed my opinion of the film very much. I still, I still like it because of its, of its depth charge, if that, if I want to say that. Because there's a lot, you know, there's a lot here to be desired about this movie, um, but yeah, per, uh, per our conversations, it kind of has diminished it a little bit, but not by much. So, four, maybe four point two five. I'll just give it that four and a quarter out okay. of five. Okay. I think the production value is so strong, as far as like how it's shot, mm-hmm. uh, visually. I think Anthony Hopkins and Jodie Foster's portrayal of their characters are really good. Um, but yeah, with all the controversies, it really is... It, for me, it does take a hit. I This is a tough one, but I'd say i give it three and a half. I'd give it three. Uh, uh, my opinion on the movie has changed a lot. Um, even aside from the controversies behind it, I just don't think it's as good as it thinks it is. And I don't think it's as good as the 
a claim warrants. Uh, I don't think, I don't think it deserved to win all those Oscars. I don't. Which ones would you take away? That's yeah. Best picture. Sure. Okay. Especially after looking. What are at some the of the other, yeah? What are the other nominees? It was nominated for best picture with Beauty and the Beast, Bugsy, JFK, and The Prince of Tides, and I would have given it to Beauty and the Beast that year for uh, what it did to animation. Yeah. I may even take away Anthony Hopkins' best actor. He was up against Warren Beatty, Robert De Niro, Nick Nolte, and Robin Williams. That's a good. That's a good lineup. It is cool. a good lineup. Well, and the other thing is, is that you have to understand that. Anthony Hopkins has a record, I think, for winning Best Actor for the shortest performance in history. Shortest. He's only in this movie for like ten minutes total. Yeah, it's like ten or it's like I think it's like sixteen minutes as a whole is the only time you ever see him. It's it's kind of it's another instance of of I it makes me frustrated with the Academy because he should be considered a supporting actor, mm-hmm. and because clearly Jodie Foster is the is the lead actress and he is a supporting actor to her. But I don't know. I don't know what he's he is I, he is a supporting character. I I don't know how the Academy I don't know how the Academy decides that. I don't either because I, I mean I there were it's a, it's a weird ass process. I had questions about that this year even. Yeah, but I, mean, I just it it's clear to me that he is a supporting character mm-hmm. to Clarice's lead character. It's just that's how it's written, and it's it's kind of like uh like Colonel Hans Landa. From Inglorious Bastards. Sure. He's clearly not a supporting character. He kind of is the movie a little bit. He's the villain. He's the main <laughs> villain, and you see him a lot. Yeah, there's a lot of weirdness every year like that, I guess. So, uh, how they nominate this is purely on their own terms. They're doing stuff that they want to do. Yeah. But, oh well. Yeah, I... Mean, I uh, it, it's, it's written in history. There's nothing we can do about it. I, prob- I probably won't watch this movie ever again. I think I'm done with it. So let's look ahead a little bit, Andrew. You can't say anything because as you've of this as of this moment, you're, you've already seen Hannibal. Uh-huh. So yep. you can chime in a little bit, but like not too much. So let's spoiler free zone. <laughs> this movie came out in 1991. Yeah, yep. was critically acclaimed, won all these awards. Yeah, right. Ten years later, they decide let's make a sequel. Yeah. Why do we think <laughs> like that's a great idea? A question, and that's something that I, I think from now on we should always ask why. After a movie, I agree. Why do we think they made a sequel? Yeah, I think should be a, a common segment now. Um, I also, because if it, it made so much money, but the the sequel mindset was still kind of eh, at that time in '91, like it was there. The sequels were being made. Oh yeah, they were huge. But I mean, they were like stories the- being told. There was like it was like Star Wars, a story being told. It was, and those all came out within a decent time frame of one another. It was Indiana Jones; those those movies all kind of came out with a with a time, and they were telling a story. Um, but this one was so far out of people's minds as far as like the commercial set. Mm-hmm. Like Silence of the Lambs ninety one was super successful. In two thousand one, do you think anybody was going? You know what? I'd like to see a Hannibal Lecter movie because I don't. Uh, I don't know. Maybe. Because now we're in a world, in a time where we're oversaturated with Hannibal content. Mm-hmm. There's there's too many movies. There's the TV show that lasted three seasons, which was great. I've heard that. There's too much Hannibal now. Yeah, there was no Hannibal then. They just had the one movie. So I don't know. Maybe people were asking for it. I mean, why I don't know. I don't know how I many. Mean, they clearly they 
it, the whole thing's perplexing, and I'll be interested to read why, because they obviously set up a sequel in the end of Silence. Sure. They set it up they to be a sequel, and then they dropped it. Well, right, and yeah, and Hannibal, again, the, you can chime in here. Does Hannibal itself follow any of that? Is there any reference to... Cause, the first movie. So here's a well, question. I mean, we, we, all know know I mean, that, we all know that they re, that Jodie Foster's not in it. Is Julianne more Clarice? Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's, so she yeah, is I mean, Clarice. So she's not a different person. Yeah, that's okay. a given. So then, do, is there any mention of Buffalo Bill or Dr. Chilton? And you, this is yes or no, don't go any deeper. Uh, oh. I want to say yes. I already have the answer to the okay. question of why they made a sequel. Oh. Uh, the I guy was, who wrote the book wrote another book. Yeah. Ah, okay. Easy. I was wondering about that. I mean, I know that they were the books. sequel to the sequel to the Science of the Lambs novel came out in 1999. Mm. So there was no there was no other story gotcha. until 99. Mm-hmm. So then it takes them three years to make the sequel. But didn't they didn't they do Red Dragon before Mm-mm. Science of the Lambs? No, Red Dragon came out what? in 2002. Yeah, but but I'm t- I'm talking about no no I'm talking about the book Red Dragon. Oh, I don't know about that. Because I know that Red Dragon, it, we we know that Red Dragon is a prequel to Science of the Lambs. I don't know. I can never find a list of how these books freaking work. 1981. This is Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, no. Oh, but, but it is a sequel. Oh, so Silence of the Lambs is the sequel to Red Dragon. Mm-hmm. So now I'm just left thinking they just purposely screwed up this whole film series. <laughs> Well, I mean, now I'm mad. now I'm more mad at the, now. I just hate this. I hate it all. Okay. <laughs> I hate it when Hollywood stu- just drops stupid bombs everywhere. When they when they when they jump when around, they screw and... around with the timeline of a story. I can't believe we got to watch two more of these nonsense freaking movies. <laughs> well, don't give them too much to look forward to. No, they'll love it because we hate it, or I hate it. Yeah, it's, I, I don't think I've ever seen Hannibal. Uh, I've seen Red Dragon, but I've not ever seen Hannibal. So Even just looking at the poster for Hannibal, he's clearly just a freaking caricature of his former self. Yeah. Like, that's stupid. That looks stupid. He, he doesn't have red eyes. Why does he have red eyes in the poster? Like a de- demon. Is he more of a... So, okay, I don't, again, I don't want to get too deep. But is he more of a villain in this one is he the main villain or is there another villain that is it kind of follow the same format of silence of the lambs where they're looking for somebody else and he's like a bad guy but is also kind of helping i'm gonna gonna answer that with this yes all right fair enough because uh, i i would like to go into it but we don't have time we don't have time it's a podcast but but uh, no i mean not like we don't have time well it's not shorter than most but I mean, I mean, he's the villain. I, 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 I feel I like just looking at the promo I, material, it's clear my, that she's trying to catch him. He's the villain. My, my, yeah. I mean, just, I mean, it's a continue. If you, if it's anything, it's just a continuing story of that. I can't reveal. I feel like I can't reveal too much. Okay. Yet. So he I'm seems a, like the plot is just Clarice is now trying to catch Hannibal Lecter. Yes, because he escaped in silence and had never been caught again. You're not really wrong. Do they talk about? Is there a time jump? Or does it take place like months after Silence? God, ends? there better be a time jump. There is a time jump. Okay, okay. good. So good. I, I, that would annoy they're, me. They're pretty. They're pretty like present in terms of in terms of time on this. Is one. there a part when they fr- when they meet for the first time after all these years that Hannibal goes, "You look different." I'm not going to say that. <laughs> it means he does. 
that wraps up that that was our uh second horror series or we're not done with the series but it's our second horror series we're doing true uh and so far for being uh Academy Award winning movie is far worse than the Halloween series. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm, I really feel it is it is not worth its its weight. <laughs> and Halloween's better. Alright, fair enough. I can't believe you don't agree. I, I didn't say that. You did. You I, said I it. Didn't. You said it with your tone. No, I you didn't. You said it with your tone. No, I didn't. <laughs> um, I kind of remember when Hannibal came out when I was a kid. This came. I, I, I didn't ever want to see it. It came out. Still don't. It came out like what? Two. Came out around the same time, uh, about ten years later. From were any of the other movies nominated for any Oscars? Nope. Well, there you go. This. I'm not gonna say anything more. I just, <laughs> I just want to talk about it next time. Oh man! All I have to say is that that is an understatement. Was met with a mixed critical reception. Yes. Well, and that helps us. There's, there's our hint for the Rotten Tomatoes guess. <laughs> All right, well, we'll be back next week with the sequel, Not a Soul Asked For, <laughs> Hannibal. <laughs> Until then, you can find us online at sequels.com and on facebook.com slash pod On Instagram, just search pod there and search for us on Twitter. We're on all of those major social media platforms. And each we're individually all on Letterboxd, so search our names on there. And you can probably find us. I think that's how that works. Sure. We'll be back next week. Until then, enjoy this podcast with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. That was pretty good. Wow. Mm, Gross.